0: Max Verstappen was barely shown after he got into the lead because he was just away, he was on his own.
1: What separates Red Bull's DRS from, from what you've been able to see from your conversations on the ground with different people? Is there something that you can point to?
0: There's no opening in any of those top five teams, so he does need to change his mindset if he wants to come back. McLaren's still in a bit of trouble, but he saw they had
2: one pretty decent result and then he's like, I'm going to challenge everyone Everybody of things, come at
0: me.
1: Welcome to Unlapped, Katie George and Nate Saunders. Lawrence Edmondson is on holiday, and I imagine he deserves it after what was an outrageous Australian Grand Prix. Luckily for us, the mega-famous F1 journalist and broadcaster Chris Medlin has agreed to join us. And if you're thinking, hmm, I recognize that name. Who? Chris, Chris. Chris is the guy who goaded Haas team boss Gunther Steiner into saying he'd f- the whole paddock. Allegedly, Chris, it's so good to see you. Can you confirm or deny he said the f-word or did he actually say hugged?
0: Uh, I was certain he said the f-word, but um he insists he, definitely he says said hugged. And I definitely. I kind of have to start to side with Gunther a bit because the way he reacted and was like frowning at me. That's why I went back over to kind of verify it afterwards. He was clearly like, just didn't know what I was on about, which is normal anyway, as people find out as this pod goes on. Most people really struggle to understand what I'm on about. But um, yeah, with that one, I I had to take the blame, I think. But I've seen people are doing like T-shirts of it. It's getting printed up everywhere now. It's just, it's, it's gone big.
1: I- I'll tell you, when I was watching the Drive to Survive episode, before I even knew you walked back to confirm if that's what he said, I actually took my Apple TV remote and I went back a couple seconds and I was like, did he just say, did he say what I think he said like on an interview like that? And then obviously I listened to it a couple of times before I realized that you guys had the whole conversation. I was dying laughing. I thought it was an, <laughs> again, why we absolutely love him. And he's one of the greatest personalities in the paddock.
2: Yeah, the, great thing with that was, fun. the great thing with that was the great thing with that was I got, I got two doses of it. So I remember that happening <laughs> last year, like at that time, that is, yeah, Meta's talking about it like, oh, this. I had this crazy interview with Constantine the other day, and we're like, oh, that sounds. Told us about it, and I'm pretty sure it it made a few ripples at the time, didn't it? Because it because you it was part of your radio show, and then it kind of died out, and it wasn't there, and then obviously you know we get get in with the season. So then when the Netflix episode starts, I think Netflix put that out as a teaser, and I said Metas, I, I think your I think your interview is going to come back. Um, but yeah,
0: it definitely he definitely he definitely dropped an F bomb. No one can convince me otherwise. Well, the one person I want to out for this is Stu Morrison, the PR at Haas, who pulls that face where he knows what he's heard, too, that he hears the F-bomb. <laughs> and then when Gunther asks him, he's like, I don't know. Did, Did you, you, do? you I didn't think <laughs> you swore. <laughs> it's like he was playing both sides. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Both of you. Not in Australia this past weekend. You were at a friend's wedding. First and foremost, I hope the wedding was awesome from the one photo that Nate posted online. I think it looks like you guys had plenty of fun. What did you think of the weekend overall? Because I'm sure you got uh, a chance to sit down and watch the Australian Grand Prix.
2: I mean, pretty wild. I mean, um, from our side, it was a 6 a.m. start in the UK. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually when you get up that early, you think, okay, you know, I'm in it for... I'm in it for, what, an hour and a half, two hours? And recently, <laughs> Formula One has made it so that whenever you watch a race, there's going to be afters. There's going to be something happening at the end. I mean, I thought it was pretty chaotic. I mean, actually, before you know, we'll, we'll get into what happened at the end. I thought the first 15 laps or so were really, really good fun. A lot happening, a lot of good battles. And then that red flag kind of ruined you know, the way the race was kind of shaping up at that point. Then it kind of got a bit dull. And then, of course, all hell broke loose at the end, and kind of everyone wasn't really sure what was going on. But um, a decent race, I thought, and kind of annoying. One of those races where it was a bigger case of what the race could have been rather mm-hmm. than what it was just because of outside circumstances. which was always frustrating, but at least it shows that there can be some good races this year because it was really shaping up to be a pretty good one.
0: Yeah, it definitely taught me why I make sure I go to all the races and don't try and cover them from home because the time zone was a killer. And I was doing the wedding and then going and working. Um, but also there yeah, with all the delays, you make plans, don't you? you kind of yeah, in and around your home life. So you kind of say you can do things or help people. And in your mind, you can and you just can't and Formula One won't let you. So yeah, I was meant to head out on Sunday morning. And thanks to that red flag. And waiting so long later on, which I know, yeah, you said we'll get into but uh, delaying the finish. Uh, I was sat there being like, I've oh, got places to be. I have to I have to out myself slightly here as as not doing
2: as much work as Meadows, and by not as much work as sorry for everyone listening. I call Chris Medland Meadows because you know I've known him for so long. Um, little name drop there for everybody listening. <laughs> um, but Meadows was actually working the week the the week, despite being at the wedding. So he you know he had his laptop, he had his work stuff in Bath in in the UK where we went for this for our friend's wedding. I was completely off, so I was sleeping in until the Sunday when I just woke up and watched the race. But Meadows was was doing you know he went to the wedding and you know had a had a fairly fairly civilized finish because he said well I've got to go and watch qualifying tomorrow whereas I I was like no that's uh, for me I'll just see I'll see the result in the morning mate it'll be fine <laughs> so it was a very very different experience the two of us had um but yeah I thought he deserved some credit for that because even we even had a brunch on Saturday morning p- post-wedding and Meadows was there with his laptop doing work
1: that's commitment so,
2: yeah, I was super, impri- I mean, I was both super ashamed at myself, but also super impressed at, at the effort. So but I thought that deserves some um, some kudos.
1: Oh, speaking of the time change, I was in Houston this past weekend for XFL. Neither of you probably know what that is, which is perfectly fine. Oh, it's, but the, Houston, Rocks, Houston American it's the Rocks
2: football league. There you right? go. Okay, yeah. fair enough.
1: Yeah. But Houston was also the site of the Final Four for college basketball. So on Saturday night, I ended up getting a last minute ticket. And so I went to both games, which were awesome. But it took us as a group so long to get an Uber from NRG Stadium to get back to our hotel. So I walked into my hotel right at midnight, which is when in Central Time Zone, the race was actually starting. So I turned it on because I thought, oh, I'll be in bed well before and I'll just catch it the replay in the morning on ESPN. Well, I turned it on and the race was starting and I was like, oh. I got to watch, like, a- as much as I can. Well, then we hit the red flag early on, and I was like, oh, I don't know, like, I think I have to go to bed. <laughs> and I'm so bummed that I went to bed because what ensued, obviously, after, nobody could have predicted. But we're we're going to get into the Australian Grand Prix. You guys
0: can cry me a river. I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning watching that race. It was brutal.
1: Uh, <laughs> it is brutal, but that's commitment from you, too. So I respect that you stuck with it. I clearly did not. Uh, and we're going to get to all the different scenarios and what played out. But first just let's hit a couple bits of news. Nate, you have on ESPN.com a interesting article based on the the comments that George Russell has made um after the Australian Grand Prix. He thinks that Red Bull is holding back. The quote is um they're almost embarrassed to show their full potential because the faster they seem globally, the more the sport is going to try and hold them back somehow. What do you make of Russell's comments?
2: Hmm. Pretty cheeky. Um <laughs> And I think that um, I'm pretty sure Max responded, and Christian both kind of were like, "Well, if anyone knows about holding back pace, it's Mercedes from back when they were when they were dominating." I mean, <clears throat> I feel like this there's a there's a big thing, a big premium in Formula on One on this idea of sandbagging, fans call it, in testing when you know teams are holding back some pace. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I don't know, I, I'm not sure how much I buy it. You know, I mean, yes, on the one hand, if if you do have a big advantage, you're like, well, let's you know. I think it's more a case of Red Bull probably haven't had to push their car fully yet to win a race. It's probably more a fair statement. I don't see why you would necessarily hold back unless, because there's an inference there, isn't there, that the car is somehow not fully legal, which is where Mm -hmm. it gets interesting. So I think that that's the bigger, that's the bigger part of it. And I think that, you know, Russell obviously thinks they can win all 23 races is what he said in Bahrain. Um, And so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if he clarifies that. Uh, when we get to Baku, if he says, no, I didn't, you know, I wasn't inferring anything, or if he kind of doubles down and says, no, I think I think they are worried that the sport will kind of, you know, peg them back with some regulations or something like that, which it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. Um, okay. I think it would be the quickest it's happened for a dominant team. Mercedes actually had a, a rule change in 2017, which they then came through and were still the best team, um, you know, despite having dominated before. So it has been done before, um, but I don't know. It, it seems it may, maybe Russell's just trying to, you know, prompt the FIA into doing that. I'm not,
0: I'm not quite sure.
1: Chris, can you give us some examples from the past of where maybe the FIA steps in and, and makes regulation changes?
0: Uh, it tends to have been actually, as Nate said, around Red Bull dominance um, in the mm-hmm. past. Um, in 2009, they didn't step in and, and outlaw the double diffuser immediately. They did it the year after. So you had a few teams that had a double diffuser and then um, Red Bull were one of those that were going to go down that route. But from 2010 onwards, you weren't allowed it. Uh, Because it's too much of a differentiator. But then it became blown diffusers, and then they banned those as well, or the way that you could use those. So it tends to be about kind of rear car performance as well. And that's something that Red Bull has been very, very good at. So um, there's been a few. I mean, even we can even talk about things like the floor changes. Yeah, we had it in in 2021, um, Mm -hmm. cutting out part of the floor that seemed to just kind of suit Red Bull a little bit more than Mercedes. And if you think Mercedes had it fairly comfortable in 2020 to win the titles, but 2021 was great. So. There's been a few like that, and it, it tends to revolve around, yeah, the performance of the car at the at the rear. Um, but I think Red Bull are very aware that they can't run away with this incredibly anyway. Uh, just from a marketing point of view, all their sponsors are turning around going, you know, I've spoken to some members of the team, and they're like, this doesn't look great. Um, you know, we're not getting seen. I mean, if you think anyone who watched the race on Sunday, Max Verstappen was barely shown after he got into the lead because he was just away. He was on his own. So um, even the teams themselves, the dominating they want to win and they want to show they're better than everyone, but they also want to do that with the full value of that victory, if that makes sense.
1: The DRS situation seems so superior than other teams. And obviously, that's been mentioned on the broadcast. And I think Ted Kravitz called it super duper DRS. And if you guys knew exactly what went into the creation of the DRS and why it's working at such a high level, I'm sure that you'd be hired by all of these teams to help with the design. <laughs> What separates Red Bull's DRS from from what you've been able to see from your conversations on the ground with different people is there something that you can point to?
0: The only term I can use is efficiency. It's it's just that you know you, that when they flick it open, they get such a big gain. And if we think last year, Red Bull actually had trouble with their DRS because they were pushing the kind of limits of it so much, so it was a little bit a little bit weak. And I think it's that they've managed to get it so it's lightweight enough because obviously weight's been a big issue for all of these cars um, mm-hmm. throughout the past two years, so it's still lightweight enough, but performant mm-hmm. enough in terms of the gap that opens up and the top speed advantage they get. If we look at when Max overtook Lewis, the end of that lap, so he he overtook him halfway round, and at the end of that lap, he was two seconds clear. It was remarkable, crazy. but that's crazy. P- partly because he got a second hit of DRS when he was already in front, and he, and he pulled out a huge advantage with that, so... Um, yeah it's 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 impressive I mean DRS is legal as a as a concept Mm -hmm. and it's maybe an area that I don't think all teams have really fully exploited in the past it's kind of had some work on it but maybe not been a a key battleground as it now could become a bit more
1: one of my favorite conversations if you will on the radio comms was last year which race was it when Essentially, Max was saying his DRS didn't work, and they're like, "Are you double punching it?" Like, and they just went back and were like, Are "You double punching the button," and he's like screaming at his engineer. I just thought that that conversation was hilarious and very entertaining as a fan to watch.
2: Yeah, I think that was I think it was Bahrain last year. It was pretty early on, wasn't it? And Max just yeah. had a complete meltdown. You um, did. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's one of the last things you want to hear when you're trying to troubleshoot an issue is somebody on the other end saying, is it the most obvious <laughs> solution? You're like, it's clearly not that. Uh, so I, could, I did kind of sympathize with him at, at that point.
1: Yeah. The clearly no DRS issues so far in the 2023 season, uh, possible format changes coming following discussions on changes to the sprint race weekends. Formula one teams have apparently reached an agreement on amendments to the Azerbaijan grand prix weekend format, which is the first sprint race weekend of the season. So for those listening, the current sprint weekend format is to have FP1 and qualifying on the Friday, FP2 and the sprint on Saturday, then the Grand Prix as usual on Sunday. Nate, would you like to simply describe the new format that's being proposed as to what we can expect in Baku?
2: Yeah. So the, what's being floated around from from everything we understand is uh, FP1 and qualifying as normal on a sprint weekend. Then Saturday turns into sprint qualifying. And then the sprint. So Saturday effectively becomes its own day, kind of separate from everything else. So you qualify on Saturday, and that's that's where you where you line up on the, uh, for the sprint race. Mm-hmm. Then Sunday, the Grand Prix itself. You qualify. You you start where you qualified on Friday. Which you know for purists, it means you know your qualifying session actually does. You know it's qualifying for the race, and it's a sprint qualifying has its own session. So you're losing a you're losing a practice session um, from a sprint weekend, and you'd already lost one anyway for a sprint weekend. So. Sets up if if you know if that is what they go with it's, it sets up a pretty interesting weekend because you know it we, we talked about it last week didn't we Katie about the idea of giving points in practice mm-hmm. there's this push towards making more and more sessions competitive and fewer sessions actually sessions that the teams can kind of you know can kind of use themselves so interested to see if that if that does come off it uh, from what I understand it seems like they're leaning towards that especially I mean Baku itself they're not really sure it's, it's been a bit. You know, shaky as to whether they want, actually wanted to do the sprint there at all, um, but I mean, Meadows might know better than me. Usually, it's the case, um, but it seems
0: like this is something they're pushing towards in terms of this format format change. Yeah, it's certainly come from Formula One side, from Stefano Domenicali's side. He's really keen to kind of push this. He's been a big kind of proponent of the uh, sprint weekend format. Uh, can't say I'm personally fully convinced because I think you make Saturday standalone. All you're doing is essentially making a double weekend where you've got two races, two yeah. qualifying sessions, two races. And if you've got a dominant team, it's two chances for the dominant team to qualify and poll and win the race. And people will complain that they're <laughs> seeing it run down their throats even more. Um, so I kind of feel like the sprint was kind of along the right lines in the way it did influence the the Grand Prix itself, I thought. Um, but yeah, it looks like this is certainly the move because what it does is eradicate FP2. Uh, from the previous sprint format, which was a Saturday morning and kind of a pointless session. It was just tired to gathering. And, you know, teams still got something from it, but not a huge amount. And for fans, it kind of then meant even less than normal. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just that push, as Nate says, to try and make even more competitive sessions during a sprint weekend. But pretty late in the day to be doing it, if, if we think it's yeah. the next race. Um, and they haven't signed off on it yet. It's not been officially confirmed or anything like that. So, and The funny thing is... Do you think they'd have to change the points the point structure in the sprint for because like one to eight only offering points at that point when it's it's a whole new race like they'd have to change the whole sprint concept in my opinion yeah they haven't they've discussed that yet but yeah I, I think they'd stick with the points just because they'd be saying to people yeah go and risk it a bit more to get into the points you know they're not massive points paying races which uh max said in australia that he was more like well I just don't like the sprint. I, you know, I just stay out of trouble and wait for Sunday when the, when the real race happens and the big points are on offer. So if you go to the Saturday and say, well, it doesn't matter what happens in this, there's no repercussions, then sure. people might take more risk. But I think that's the only difference.
2: My biggest worry with this all is when does Formula One think <clears throat> is too much of a good thing? You know, too much racing, too much. And I think Madness is completely right. You know, you almost make two, two race weekends. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about it as well, like the best season we saw recently was 2021, you know, it was Max and Lewis and, you know, if you if you'd added say eight more sprint races through that, I don't think it goes to the end of the season. I just think the way you know the season ebbed and flowed. You know, it it, it was quite lucky we got to the end of the season like we did. But yeah, it just I don't know. It's hard to get excited. I mean, Baku's a great circuit for a, for a sprint, mm-hmm. but if you've already seen it on Saturday, you know, you've seen carnage and stuff, then you you tune in on Sunday again. You're like, wow, okay, I've been watching a lot of this recently. Like it it it's it gets over
1: saturation.
2: Yeah. Especially and, and- like Meta said, if one guy's winning. I mean, the Red Bull sponsors in Baku, they're gonna be furious, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they're not gonna see any of that any of that car.
1: Well, Chris, to your point about Stefano de Benicale, he's not a huge fan of free practices. We we know that. So from your all's knowledge and conversations with teams, are there proponents who like this format change and have been asking for a format change as it pertains to sprint weekends, or are there teams or team bosses that are apparently against it?
0: I think there's a bit of a split. I'm not aware of anyone who's completely firmly against it because I think since we've gone into the budget cap era where you can actually be a profitable Formula 1 team, you don't have to put every penny into performance... Then anything that starts to increase the revenues directly and therefore make your company more profitable has to be something you have to think about. You know, most of them do have shareholders or other bosses that they're they've got to keep in mind. And if they can turn around and say, "Yeah, we're going racing and it's fun," plus here you're making a load of money out of it, then it, they're doing a good job, like as a as a business person. So uh, I think that actually kind of softens the argument of just a purist going, "Well, that's not what Formula One is," because there's another aspect to it now. Uh, but I think there were a few that kind of thought. Well, the way that FP2 can be a bit dull, the way that we don't want to risk anything in the sprint because the main race is on Sunday and we don't want to, you know, spin out or get some damage in the sprint and end up at the back and have to start the back on Sunday. So there was a few more that said, yeah, we're more likely to take that race seriously if it doesn't have repercussions for Sunday. But um, it's quite interesting because if we go back, I don't know, three, four years, people were so against two races every weekend um, within Formula One. They were like, no chance, really don't want to do that. Uh, and to call it sprint qualifying was a way of mm-hmm. kind of getting a race that wasn't a race, and and it had Stopping to, in, in, yeah, had to influence what happened on the Sunday. So it's just like baby steps towards that sort of thing, um, which uh, I, you know, kind of fair play to Domenicali for managing to pull that off. So at the same time, we're meant to have a shorter race weekend, which we don't have anymore, but we do have more races. But like they've been very good at expanding the sports weekend and calendar uh, by just slowly feeding it through to the teams, and then eventually they agree. He's a PR master, Stefano, for that. I, I agree with you. And I think <clears throat>
2: F1 has actually, and this was pre Stefano as well, they've done the same with the calendar. You know, it used to be 18 races, can't imagine more than that. And I was like, well, let's just do a 19th one. And then you get the 19th one. And then it's like, well, you know, and then you get 20th. And before you know it, you know, this year was meant to be, what was it, 24? So, and mm-hmm. that's happened in the space of four or five years. So you can see how, you know, over the short term, you think, oh, it's not a big change. But you look five, six, seven years down the line, you know, is half the calendar going to be going to be a sprint weekend? Is every weekend just going to be right? There's a sprint every weekend. Just deal with it. You know, because at the moment that seems like a crazy suggestion. But like like Meta said, you know, the, this whole concept was completely foreign a few years ago.
0: Yeah, and Stefano's um, comments about the practice sessions and not wanting or saying he's not a big fan of them came at a MotoGP race where they're doing sprints at every single event. So he might yeah. then go, "Well, look, it works there," or and again, he can point to it commercially as the reason that that team should sure. go for it or even other members should be on board with it. So um, it's, it's a fine balance to tread because, I mean, there was a lot of teams that were in a lot of trouble during COVID. The sport hasn't always been as rock solid um, and as lucrative as it is right now. And sometimes you do have to capitalise on that. But at the same time, you don't want it to come to the detriment of the actual sporting product that's going out.
4: Must be 21 plus plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: You often think can the sport get any more lucrative than it already is? There is one name and face that I think would be good to see back on the grid, and I know that Nate Saunders was happy to see this headline when he was partying the night away at the wedding. But Daniel Ricardo, obviously, was at the Australian Grand Prix, the reserve driver for Red Bull. And he is aiming possibly for an F1 return next season. Nate Saunders, how excited were you when you saw this information?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you called that pretty pretty accurately, Katie. <laughs> I think yeah, you know, woke up and I was like, oh, that's that's a pretty good pretty good news story. I mean, I think this is great and actually not hugely surprising. I mean, we we spoke mm-hmm. to him in New York, didn't we, before the the Red Bull launch, and even then he seemed like a completely different person to last year. You know, he seemed so much more relaxed, so much kind of happier in this Red Bull role. And I really think that. You know, a, a lot of people second-guessed this decision he made. I was one of those people. I thought, is this really the right thing for him to do? Like he had the chance to stay on the grid with some other teams, but it does seem like it's it's just been the thing he needed. You know, the rejuvenation that he needed to um, to just get over whatever it was that was struggling. He was struggling with at McLaren, um, and he's clearly he clearly still wants it as well. That's the thing. You know, he clearly still wants to be an F1 driver. Otherwise, he would have gone and done, you know really committed to other things. You know, he's obviously like you said, Katie, a massively market, uh, marketable guy could have gone and done a bunch of things if he didn't want to race he could have gone to other racing series and probably been paid quite a lot of money to do that but he hasn't done that so the desire's clearly still there I think the, the really fascinating question now is where does he end up because i know everybody looks at perez and thinks well perez's seat is you know maybe not the safest seat in formula 1 um but i think that becomes a, an interesting talking point for us through the year because the th- the reason that ricardo did this year out was because he didn't just want to become another driver Racing, you know, in the midfield or at the back, he wanted a car that he could win races in, and he said, "If I don't get that, there's no point in me racing." So you would assume that mindset is still the same now. So you know that that becomes an interesting thing. But yeah, as a, as a news story, it's it's awesome. I hope and I hope he does come back because I think the grid, you know, I mean the grid, the F1's been good so far this year, but it, you can tell that he's not been around. You know, there's sure. You know, someone at McLaren said they have a Ricardo-shaped hole this year in their kind of marketing kind of approach, which I thought was quite interesting. And I think F1 generally kind of has that as well.
1: Yeah, the grid's better for it when he's certainly involved because of the personality. And and to your point, he has said he wants to be on a team near the front challenging for wins. Um, No surprise there. I think every driver would tell you that. That's what they hope and dream for. This year, though, has shown that there's multiple cars, though, and multiple teams that can put you in winnable situations. I think more so than we've seen in the immediate past, just based on, I mean, Alpine before the absolute blunder of the third red flag. They were in great position, as was Aston Martin. And so there's there's more options. I guess, Chris, realistically, what could we maybe expect? Where could we expect Daniel to maybe fall?
0: Yeah, it was funny because I was looking at exactly that part of the quotes that you mentioned. I think it was Lawrence uh, Evanson to give him yeah, the kudos while he's out riding his bike that was at the event where <laughs> Daniel said this. And um, and I was reading up on it and thought, oh, great, he wants to come back. And I went, oh, well, nothing's really changed because he's saying, well, I want to come back, but only if I can get a front-running seat, like he said last year. And then he's like, well, I'm not going to come back just for any old seat. But as you said, you've kind of got to split. Essentially, the only race-winning seat is the Red Bull right now. I mean, they were I don't think I win every race this season, but Yeah, that's the dominant car. So then you've got that bracket behind, as you say, with Mercedes, Ferrari, Alpine and Aston Martin. Can't see an opening at Aston Martin. And I'll get rid of Lance Stroll, who's doing a good job. Uh, Certainly Mm -hmm. not getting rid of Fernando Alonso, though. And then Alpine turned him down last year. And I'm pretty sure with both drivers on the contract, won't change that approach for next year. So with assuming Lewis stays at Mercedes, which I, I do expect to happen, there's no opening in any of those top five teams. So he does need to change his mindset if he wants to come back. Uh, then he's looking at teams like, you know, he's not going to go to Alpha Tauri, really, is he go to the junior Red Bull team. So rule them out. There's only four left. Haas Williams are the two he turned down last year. McLaren aren't going to take him back over Norris and Piastri with Piastri doing a good job. So really, I can see Alfa Romeo with Guanyu Joe being the one that maybe is on um, rocky ground just based on them not thinking commercially he's actually bringing the money. But um, he's A, performed pretty solidly and B, the former McLaren team principal Andreas Seidel's there, so probably doesn't want to re sign the guy that he fired less than 12 months ago. So I've genuinely struggled to see where Daniel actually does fit in if he doesn't go. Actually, I'm willing to talk to Harsaw Williams. Uh, that was that, that was might be pretty comprehensive me, cause I think Nate's right. Yeah, say so, yeah. again. <laughs> I said it's a pretty comprehensive. Uh, shutdown. I think you're right, but it is comprehensive. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think. Um, but Nate's right that there's been a shift in the sense that mm-hmm. I got the impression he was happy to kind of start doing the things that were going to come after F1 now and prep for his post-F1 career uh, and and retire, essentially. When I spoke to him in New York, I felt like he was ready for the time off. And it, if it meant it was forever, he was OK with that. It sounds mm-hmm. like now he's not OK with it. So that's at least a step in the right direction. Give it a few more months and he may well be going. You know what? I'll take any seat because they're all good seats as well. There's no team off the back. Everyone can give you a car that will race with another car.
1: I would agree with that. He seemed at peace in New York, and I would have thought maybe we would have seen a shift into television like that makes the most sense. I feel like with his personality that we've mentioned, he has said his kind of habits as of late have him pointing towards a return to F1. I don't exactly know what that means, but obviously what he's doing, Mm -hmm. he feels like he's gearing back up for a return. Maybe he needs to lower his price uh, we know obviously the price was mentioned of what he was expecting for Haas to pick him up and'm I'm, I'm sure that they did not meet in the middle or else he'd still be on the grid but uh, maybe he just needs to kind of realign the expectation of what it's going to take to get him back into a seat and then maybe we do see him
2: yeah and I think this the TV the TV argument the TV side of it is interesting because I think there's been a um a, a conscious effort on Ricardo's Half to not actually end up doing too much tv because i think that there's the feeling of if if you end up doing tv if you become a pundit you're basically saying i'm now a pundit i'm, I'm not done. a racing driver so i think that i think he's that's actually it's a really good observation i think he's done that intentionally you know he's like because i know there's been offers from you know from different companies sure. i think you know he'll be doing he'll be doing different things in that kind of role of like hey i'm just here as a guest i'm not a pundit i'm a guest i'm a formula one I'm a Formula One driver still. I'm just a third driver, so um, I think he's I think he's done that quite well. But yeah, you're right. And that um, we 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 joked with with uh, with Meadows about the Steiner quote at the start of uh, mm-hmm. the episode. That was another great Steiner quote, wasn't it? From Netflix, was he said I can't I can't afford Ricardo, He wants too much effing money. So you know he said he said the same thing. So I think you're right. His a year out, even if you are the most marketable guy, you know maybe behind Hamilton and a few others. I think you can't really expect a lot of money. So yeah, lots of lots of question marks
0: there for sure
1: speaking of-
0: did actually say as well sorry steiner did actually say as mm-hmm. well on friday that um he thought everyone every team boss would want to talk to daniel if daniel says he wants to come back and that he'd be willing to talk to him but he kind of prioritizes his current drivers but to be that open about it just three races into the season i, I was actually quite surprised because yeah. last year Gunther was much more like well you know he was trying to play it coy in the media he was kind of like well maybe we don't want him like just because we've got an vacancy, doesn't mean we want to take the guy. Um, whereas okay. this time he was like, "Yeah, I'll speak to them."
2: And Günther's usually quite coy, anyway, isn't he? He's usually like, "Don't you know, a decision will be made when it's made, and you guys will know when it's made." You know, and it, and it's always like a long back and forth. So for him to be that candid about it is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, obviously, we will have all the updates as they come, if they come, uh, as it pertains to Daniel Ricardo and his future, because uh, he is a friend of the show, uh, also a friend of the show. Mister Zach Brown has. Um, Made some laughable headlines, I think is fair to say. Uh he has challenged Toto Wolf to a boxing match in Las Vegas ahead of the inaugural Punchy Grand Prix headlines. this year. Say that again.
0: <laughs> Punchy headlines.
1: Punchy this you should host. That would I missed it. A good pun <laughs> right there, sitting right in front of me. Uh do we think that um Zach Brown could uh hang around and hold his own in a ring alongside Toto Wolf?
2: I think <laughs> as someone who's done one fight I did a I did a charity boxing fight when I was 26
1: okay and uh, Good to know.
2: I I fought someone that was much taller than me um you can't he can't expect to win I won my fight but that was different you know that was different
0: <laughs> Yeah I was going to say <laughs> I was there it, I was
2: supporting Nate yeah. and he won yeah. it <laughs> but I wasn't fighting Toto better to than Brown I wasn't fighting Toto Wolf is my point Wolf's got a big arm big arm reach um I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it. I think they could, you know, they could actually make quite a good event out of that. But from the sounds of it, Zach said he spoke to Toto about it and Toto was like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I did think it was kind of, it was kind of funny. I mean, Brown was clearly in a great mood after that race because he basically, he went he went to Sky and was like, because he, he also challenged Christian Horner to some kind of race at Silverstone. Those guys raced in Junior mm-hmm. categories in in the nineties, so clearly you know, <clears throat> McLaren's still in a bit of trouble. But he saw they had one pretty decent result, and then it's like, I'm gonna challenge, I'm to challenge everyone. Everybody, to things come at me. So I thought that was quite, I thought it was quite fun. Um, and it, you know, it it seems like he's doing it from a place of, I assume he'll want to raise some money for it, or you know, turn it into some kind of spectacle like that. So, I don't know, it'd be fun, and it's the kind of thing that you know. Ahead of the, Ve- I don't know if they could do it. You know, a couple of days before Vegas. You know, if a team says our team boss isn't here because he actually got knocked out yesterday by another team boss, um, I'm not sure how that would go down. But um, it would be fun. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it'd come off. But um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, um,
1: were you delivering body shots? Is that how you won your fight?
2: Yeah, a lot of body shots. I did. I did. I did connect a couple on the chin. And and Mattis will tell you he was there. I I did. I won on points. I didn't knock the guy out. Um, but that's I. So. I'm very, very uh, confident that if that fight went ahead, somebody like me could suggest to Zach Brown, "Hey, I'm sure you've always wanted to punch a journalist repeatedly. Let's go and spar together." So I might do that if if the fight does come off and he needs some training, we'll put those we'll put those hats on and we'll you know we'll have a we'll have a bit of a punch. But um, but no, I think um, I like I like stuff like that. You know, I think it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of light hearted. Um, F one needs a bit more of it, but um. We'll Through
0: sprint races, let's just have them all. All the team principals box, and that's where you start in a race. I'm in for that. Just nah, a royal we're r- to start this race only at the Vegas race.
2: Just a Royal Rumble to decide the grid every every race. That would be great.
0: Wrestling yeah, fans, that, no? that's the crossover we need to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Is it? Is it though? Are we sure? what We <laughs> sure. need to see.
0: <laughs> just for uh, me there's there's just some me. good beef between certain team bosses that you know if they did something like that it would matter like or they'd want to get in the get one up on the other one which would be pretty entertaining but like Nate says I'm sure you know for charity they could do some some pretty cool stuff and yeah just I was there for Nate's uh glorious 100% undefeated record and I would absolutely be there to watch Zach Brown punch Nate as well <laughs> I think that could be I mean that could
2: be the undercard um <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, I'm talking what, myself into a talking myself would, into a bad situation. now, aren't I? I
1: don't want to get you in trouble because you guys see them way more frequently than I do. Who's the most punchable team boss, and who's the oh. team boss you have to protect at all costs? Like Mattia Bonotto would have been my pick, obviously no longer a team boss at Ferrari. But who's that guy that you would protect at all costs?
2: It's a pretty good question. If you're willing Wait, to you answer, you are going to get
0: us in trouble. AKT. You're definitely going to get <laughs> yeah, this, trouble.
2: Yeah, this. You have to be very careful how we answer this. I'll, I'll answer the one: we'll protect at all costs. Um, okay. I think I think most people would protect Gunther from a punch, but I feel like he could also he'd Take also one. hold his own in a fight. So I don't know if I'd need to. Um, but no, I think they're all they're all they could all probably hold their own in different ways. I
0: guess very that's a politician's answer. I'm just giving you.
1: Yeah, a non-answer. Yeah, I think by the way,
0: it's. A very cop-out as well, but I think Andrea Steyer, Stella, sorry, I keep doing that. Him, mm. But uh, as the new McLaren team principal, he's only just gone in there. He shouldn't be really getting punched. Like That's why Zach gets put up, I think. He has to He has to take the punches for him at this point of uh, point of his career because that would be really unfair if you said to the guy, just promote you, and by the way, fight. Now go stand in so, the ring. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, fair enough. I love it.
2: I think the fight we all want to see, though, is Toto v Christian. I mean, that would yeah. be... Height differential,
1: though, as you mentioned, Toto would have the advantage with the arm length. Just saying. Yeah,
2: big time. But I mean, that one, you know, Meta's rightly said some of the team bosses don't get on. That would be one where,
0: even if it was for charity, (laughs) there'd be some non charitable punches thrown. For sure. (laughs) But for that, I want to see Fred and Gunther in the ring with them just to kind of stir things up because they would be hilarious, I reckon. That would be great. no. They
1: could be uh. Who's the coach in the corner that's ringside that yes. always like gets in their face and like makes sure that they wipe the blood and they're giving them some coaching tactics. Like Gunther can coach up Toto and Fred can coach up Christian or or vice versa. But interesting, interesting premise. We'll see if it actually ends up coming to something when we get to Las Vegas.
4: Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be.
1: I want to focus now on the Australian Grand Prix. Chris, since you are our lovely guest, start wherever you'd like because there's a lot, obviously, to dive into. We could start with the red flags, the restart chaos, the eight drivers that did not finish the world is your oyster here on unlapped
0: i want to start with which team principal should punch which team principal um no uh i think actually i'll start with the red flags because i don't know if i'm in the minority here or not but i feel like the right decisions were made that the outcome of those decisions some people are not happy with fine but at the time the call was you know what's the safest thing to do here and it was to throw a red flag. I thought that certainly the last one that Max Verstappen got very upset about um, learned exactly from what happened in Monza with Ricardo's car not being able to be moved and and the race ending under the safety car taking too long and everyone going, oh, we can't be having that. Christian Horner at the time said, should have red flagged it to make sure that that's not how it ended. Now that wasn't with debris everywhere. It wasn't danger in that sense. Now this time around, there was debris everywhere for Magnussen's car. Uh, One piece cleared... the safety fence and actually cut a fan in the arm which was a you know very unfortunate freak accident but shows that you know motorsport still is dangerous for people at a track side now you couldn't have had the whole field running through there even after a safety car restart at 200 mile an hour with debris flying everywhere um if that got flicked up into a driver's face or something it could, could be terrible so i think they did the right thing they had to clear it up safest way and most effective way because it's, it wasn't just about doing it quickly you know, if you kind of said, look, you've got five laps, so you've got to get it done in two, then maybe someone misses something. But if you go red flag, take your time, get it fixed, and we'll restart, then I think that's a good thing. And and people that say it's for entertainment or um trying to create a false sporting event, I mean you're asking the drivers to deal with the utmost pressure with two laps to go on cold tires, but you're asking them to rely on their skill. You're asking they're the best drivers in the world or meant to be. So I'm I'm I didn't actually see a problem with it.
1: So when we had the third restart which would have been lap 57 of 58 laps. Uh, We obviously saw Aston and Alpine have their chances of a great finish for both cars stripped away. There was a lot of conversations then that ensued of what does the FIA do in terms of the restart order to finish the Grand Prix Nate, did you think that the FIA, even though obviously it took a very long time, and Sky Sport pundits were trying to figure it out in real time, I always feel for them because it's like they're just talking through all these different very confusing scenarios as they await the final decision? But did you think that the FIA did the right thing given how many cars were knocked out and what they ultimately decided to do?
2: Yeah, I think they did the only thing they could do. I mean, um, mm-hmm. it was it was chaotic, and I think that uh, David Croft and Jensen Button. Did a pretty impressive job on the world feed of actually explaining that, and it was—I mean, I, I've got to say—I don't know if you guys were the same, but there was a split second, maybe a bit longer, when I was like, "Hulkenberg's going to be on the podium here because mm-hmm. he was up to fourth. Signs was clearly going to get a penalty. I don't know what signs, why signs thought that wasn't—he wasn't, wasn't going to get a penalty. I think he was more upset that it dropped him out of the points. But either way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I was like, "This, this is going to be," and then when they, when they said, "Oh, he's going to move back," I was like, "Oh, that's so unlucky." But you actually look at it, and the ruling—I'm paraphrasing exactly—but you have to start the grid from the last time you could take a clear and concise order. And obviously, you can either do that at, on the grid, or you can do that when they all cross the timing beam at, at the first sector. They didn't do the second one before the red flag hit, so I think it—I think it made sense. It was confusing, and I think one thing Formula One needs to look at is how how that's communicated to fans, both watching and you know who are at the track. Because if you're watching a you know feed of the race and you're listening to commentators not really sure how that's gonna play out, it's not the best experience. But it was within the rules. The rules were you know, we've given the FIA quite a hard time, you know, I, I guess for a few years now in Formula One, but the FIA did a pretty good job here of just hitting the beats when they needed to. You know, they followed the letter of the law when they should have done. Um and yeah, I think ultimately it, it was just it was more the communication of it and how it looked you know the presentation that that mm-hmm. was just a bit it was just a bit messy a bit chaotic um i mean it's never nice to see a race finish it like that one did but it was uh, Lawrence Edmondson. i don't know why i said Lawrence Edmondson, like 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 you guys don't know who I he is you guys don't know Lawrence,
3: exactly. Lawrence yeah. <laughs> wrote
2: <laughs> Lawrence wrote that actually the 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 key thing that actually meant the race ended under safety car was just pure mathematics you know they ran out of laps and they had to do a restart and it's like you know if you you're not going to have rules where you add laps because these these you know these cars are very closely monitoring their fuel stuff like that. So there was nothing they could do. um and yeah, I think um it just shows you that 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 is an outcome that can happen and it's not going to happen every race. It was a pretty free but the first race ever, I think in Formula One that's had three red flags as well, so showed you it was a pretty unique set of circumstances to get there in the first place.
4: And Let a few ask, people, I think, said
0: about the, the lap to the finish and like being like, well, why don't you just call it? You know, you're just going to roll all over on the safety car. Why don't you just end it there? But you've got to, you know, the Grand Prix is a certain distance and the cars are meant to cover a certain distance. Now, Hülkenberg nearly conked out on that lap behind the yeah. safety car. He had a problem and that's why he had to stop straight after the finish line. So it proves that if your car isn't reliable enough and even behind safety car you retire, that's going to promote someone else. So you still got to get there. It was a bit dull waiting for that to happen and then watching that happen but um it would have been better if they more quickly got to right here's the order and let's get round um but i i think actually they were still doing the right thing it's not like you don't, you don't call any other sporting event off with five minutes to go really do you yeah. and go well it, it's kind of over we know how it's going to finish so we'll just call it there very
1: it's
2: good like point. When, it's like when quarterbacks take a knee at the end of a game you don't have nfl fans saying we need to scrap that so that you know so that the rate it's like, no, the, you know, that's just how the I mean, in that case it's because they're so far ahead, right? But mm-hmm. it's also it's not like the NFL steps in and says, No, no, no. we're now gonna The clock gonna break. still
1: expires. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: You still you've still gotta see the game out to the finish. You can't just you can't just finish it before it's done. So I think it it just is more magnified in, in F one because it's so rare to see that happen.
1: I'm glad you brought up the NFL. I want to ask you guys this. I mentioned that I was in Houston covering the XFL, which is essentially a spring football season that they're hoping could become AAA baseball or the G League for the NBA, a feeder system for guys to make it back into the NFL or get their first opportunity to make a roster. So they try a bunch of different rules and they give you a lot of access. They try things to see what could possibly stick for the NFL to see if the NFL will adopt any of these rules moving forward. One thing in my time covering the XFL this season that has been so apparent and awesome is Dean Blandino, who's the head official, who's reviewing all of the plays. He is mic'd up and has a camera on him in rules control, basically like race control, right? And so anytime there's a reviewable play or a ref or official on the field has a question, they're communicating with him up in the booth. All of that is accessible and you get to hear it him going through replays, what he's looking for, what the ruling actually is, why he doesn't see certain contact or holds, why he allows a play to stand. I find it so fascinating and transparent, which is what I think NFL fans really hope for. And it's something that they hope maybe the NFL and league will adopt in the future. Do you think that F1 could benefit from those kind of conversations that's happening in race control? Do you think that they would ever be willing to open up their own people to that kind of scenario where yeah like if you make the wrong decision obviously you're gonna be nailed to a cross but at the same time I think a lot of people walk away from the sporting event saying wow I feel good about now knowing his process and how he got to that conclusion
0: absolutely I think one of the things that I feel that the FIA need to just commit to sometimes is go with the decision and go with it quickly and that's it because whether you do it quickly or you do it five hours after the race you're never keeping everyone happy you need clarity and you need to get it done and yeah the more you can explain about why you came to that decision the more people will at least understand your thinking even if they still disagree and it's that's something we have on a number of sports here too with a lot of rugby you get the refs mic'd up and you get to hear them talking to the fourth official the or the TV official, when they want to go through replays of things, same with cricket, um, when they want to review things, you get the ability for a team to actually challenge a decision and say, we think you've got that wrong. And you mm-hmm. hear that discussion go on. So I think, yeah, that Formula One could definitely learn from that. And they're getting closer to having the technology to do it, because they have this remote operation centre in Geneva. So mm-hmm. they have a room with more stuff with more people that they could mic up or have a feed where you've got someone's decision making being explained, which I think would certainly help especially because I think that would allow them then to make decisions more quickly uh, even though you know like you say no one's ever going to be delighted with every single decision but you kind of then get the understanding of how they got there.
2: Problem is we've kind of seen a bit of that before with um, 21 with the team the team managers talking to the to the road director so I think there definitely is a way to do it but I think Formula One would have to make sure they're not doing it for the spectacle I think Meadows is completely right you've got to you can do it, and it's been done in a lot of sports. I think Formula One's issue with it was, it was like, this will be super entertaining. We'll hear all this stuff. It's like, take entertainment out of it. It's about right, right. conveying what's happening to the fan. And just on and just on um, what Meta said about other sports as well, I always find that when you can hear the, what the uh, official is saying, it adds to your respect for them. Because you understand the process they're going through. You understand, you know, the amount of pressure they're under to do that. And I mean, rugby union is a great example in the men's game. You have these tiny refs who are like five foot six. Mm. And they're talking to these guys that are like six foot four, six foot five. Mm. And the respect that they have from the players is, I mean, it's one of the great parts of rugby union. And you can hear the referees talking to them. And these and these tall players are like backing off like, OK, cool, great decision. Sorry, I won't, oh, you know. And and it's really good because you, you come away from it with a sense of this ref is really in control of what's happening. Even if you don't necessarily agree with the decision you see, you're like, okay, well, I've heard his rationale for it and it makes a bit of sense. And that's often the issue with the FIA is that they make decisions and there's no rationale until we get some four-word sentence in a, you know, in a, in a report two hours later. And of course, most fans don't see that. I mean, right. you know, the journalists in the, in the media center do, but most fans kind of leave the you know, switch the TV off being like, well, I don't really understand what happened there. And then, you know, they won't find out about it until maybe even the next race.
1: I think it really could add to the quality. Um, And to your point, I I come away with a lot more respect for the job that they are tasked with doing. Chris, when you look at some of the teams and the way that they finished, okay, it was um, somewhat of a disaster for Ferrari. Uh, obviously, you know, George Russell gets knocked out, but Lewis Hamilton is back on the podium and the Mercedes look like it had great pace this weekend. McLaren bounces back in a big way. Fernando Alonso back on the podium for the third straight race of the season. What was your biggest takeaway from some of these storylines from the teams that I just
0: mentioned? Genuinely that so many teams have good things going for them. It didn't all come together for every team, but as you've just run through, obviously Red Bull dominant. But Mercedes with some progress and Lewis being really good. Uh, you know, if George hadn't had his retirement, who knows how well it could have gone for both. But Alonso being on the podium again and Stroll backing him up. So that, that Aston being quick on every circuit. Don't forget Sainz was in the mix for the podium before that. He'd actually had a strong weekend, like got the better of Leclerc. So two drivers there that, you know, when Leclerc's actually dropping the ball a bit for Ferrari, Sainz was filling in until he got his penalty. Um, so again, driver error, but a bit of performance that was okay in the car. Alpine looked much better. Pierre Gasly as well, like in that fight too with Sainz. So, okay, ended on a really sour note, but good, good signs from them. Haas obviously took advantage and Hülkenberg was having a great race even before the chaos. Same with Norris. So you, you start listing basically every team. Um, I guess Alpha Romeo didn't really have a lot going for them alpha towering neither. but i mean yuki finally picked up a point um and he's deserved that because he's been so close for three races in a row but um yeah i think it actually still showed as much as we will focus on red bull's dominance and and the gap that they've got over everybody else that is by far the biggest gap compared to all of the other gaps in the field everyone else is really closely matched and and they all then have something to fight for or target or aim for um and i think it's kind of ramping up the pressure because, you know, Ferrari can't cruise around as definitely the third quickest team. They've got Aston and Alpi nipping at their heels and Mercedes ahead of them. They're, they're, there's It's kind of just ramping everything up a little bit. And then that leads to mistakes and errors and aggressive racing. And I thought something was great. So, yeah, there was there was a lot that was a little bit uh, disappointing about the way the race finished. But, yeah, there was plenty that was exciting in there.
2: You know, I think Aston <clears throat> obviously have stolen all the headlines this year for bridging that gap between the midfield and the top three. But I think that they've just kind of bolted early. I think that Alpine and McLaren look like they're on the right track to getting back up there. I think it's going to take McLaren a bit more time maybe to get there, but they've got so many things coming online this year, especially that wind tunnel. So you get the feeling that there is this convergence. know, we always think about this, you know, will the cost cap converge all the teams together? It feels like, there, it's it's somewhere there the, the issue is and this was also the issue when Mercedes were dominating was that you felt that this was always happening the issue was Mercedes was always just that step ahead of everyone so if Red Bull do get kind of pulled back a little bit maybe this wind tunnel penalty brings them back I think we've actually got a really good field shaping up behind them um, and obviously these cars are all a baseline for next year as well so you know, it suggests that if the, if this year is a bit one sided and we don't see the championship fight we expected, then maybe next year there's some teams kind of clipping at the heels there. Um, I was honestly I was so gutted by Alpine because I thought that that, I that drive from Gasly had been really really good. He really, yeah, he stood out for me all weekend, and it was it was pretty unlucky that you know a that that you know that he went off on cold tires, and then for him to come across the track kind of slow and I don't I think he was he said he was looking in his left mirror and Ocon was his right when I saw them collide I was like oh my word like is this is this the beginning of 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 the end for their for their you know their their kind of new bromance that they've tried you know they've been very keen to show everyone it doesn't seem like it's done anything it seems like they're just like look it happened in the race it was you know whatever but um but yeah I think Alpine looked pretty strong which I'm surprised about
0: yeah, Couple... Williams as well. I felt bad for with Albon's crash. Like he was up in the top six at that point. He looked great all weekend. Sargeant had a bit of an off weekend, but you know, first time at that circuit, and it is a tricky one. So I kind of, I think that just showed again the quality of Albon. But where he was at, what what result could have come his way without that accident as well. But again, that's the plus is the pace and the performance that was there for even Williams. Um, they just didn't didn't take advantage. Yeah, Albon, Albon looks it. great this year, and I think the whole. I mean, we've we've spoken about it before in this pod, but.
2: The whole the the quality of the grid this year is just unbelievable. I think this is probably, mm-hmm. it's probably it's got to be as as good as it's ever been in Formula One. So I think we're seeing that.
1: Couple weekends off now because the Chinese Grand Prix obviously has been cancelled. As journalists, do you appreciate the time off? Is it like, well, we didn't need it this early because we just got going? Like it feels like from all the comments that we've read from drivers, they would obviously prefer to keep racing. You know they don't like this big gap because obviously you want to get back out there right the wrongs that we obviously saw for so many eight drivers not finishing and obviously capitalizing on momentum that you have possibly made on the weekend
2: well metas has already made plans for us all next weekends, so we'll uh we've already got a whole weekend planned out when we would have been in china so um but i think i think it's nice i mean you know we all love the, the reason we do the job we do is because we love formula one um mm-hmm. but when you're on the road a lot it it is rare to have i mean other than August in the season, you don't get three weekends, you know, back to back off. And it does when you when you have them off, you're saying like, wow, this is actually nice to have three clear weeks. And the great thing, and I always say this about the length of the calendar, the great thing about having three weeks off is how excited we're going to be when we get back to Baku because we won't have raced for three yeah. weeks. We'll suddenly be like, oh, great! Like this is this is fantastic. I really don't. And look, I don't want to knock fans for their enthusiasm, and it's not just new fans, but you see a lot of people that kind of like, oh my god, like there's two weeks now until the race. What am I going to do? And I just think you know surely that's a good thing you know you can you can take some time to not watch it and so i think from that point of view it makes it better but yeah it's definitely not a bad thing from a professional standpoint to have some time off and i think mechanics and engineers guys that aren't maybe being paid the money that drivers and you know the top members of the team are being paid they
0: definitely appreciate it because it's really rare time to spend with family now yeah. chris and you when next is time off I was going to say that that's one of those where it's not that we're not working. It's just that we're not traveling. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's kind of the weekends you tend to get back, but um, it actually makes that part harder. Like the the, the bits mm-hmm. in between um, when there's no new content from races coming out, you've got to dig a little deeper or chase things more. And um, yeah, I've got a few trips that I've got to do next week to go and do some interviews and things, because you've got to go and generate your own content and then mm-hmm. you're at the kind of, Um, whim of the teams if they want to do it or the drivers or the team bosses so um, the bit that maybe sticks for me is that knowing what the end of the season will be like how hectic it will be how many races were cramming in across continents certainly after the European summer it feels like could we not have just got managed to find a way of moving one of the races into this gap just to make it a bit more calm but um, yeah I mean with a bit of luck we'll get some more competitive racing as the season goes on so then that momentum will keep people energised
1: one of my favorite segments that we do on Unlapped Chris is uh, the doghouse where you can put a driver, team boss, or entire team for that matter. FIA obviously is up for grabs as well. You put them in the doghouse. Sometimes we have small dog houses, Sometimes we have very large dog houses, depending on the weekend. So Nate, just to get the ball rolling to kind of set the scene for Chris, who would you put in the doghouse based on their performance or lack thereof in Australia?
2: So I'm going to put a slightly different one to normal. I'm going to put and I don't know exactly all the names, but they were summoned before the stewards at the end of the race. I'm going to put the organizers of the Australian Grand Prix, not for the event they put on, but for the fact that they allowed some fans on the track before the race had finished, which in racing is pretty much the worst thing that you can let happen, especially if you know, you're know you organizing an event. Luckily, no one was hurt, but you know we saw mm-hmm. fans on the track in Silverstone last year. So I know usually this is a more lighthearted segment, but I feel like that was that's a pretty big error. And actually... As as Medes said earlier, there were so many good points from that race, it's actually difficult to really pinpoint one definite um person to go in the doghouse. But that leads perfectly into Metas having to do that now. So I'm curious to see <laughs>
0: who he says. I hate you, man. I'll tell you. Um right. Uh, I was trying to think quickly, and if I had to pick a like a driver, I might actually edge towards Charles Leclerc because I feel like Leclerc just didn't have a smooth weekend. And then he took on a bit of blame for the incident himself. And I just feel like I don't know his demeanor just seemed to be like he was taking some beatings, like, like the way the season started, he just doesn't seem to be responding all that well to it. Um, so I'd maybe put him in there. Um, I guess in that sense, you could put Ferrari, but I feel like I just couldn't blame one person. Uh, but at the same time, Carlos Sainz nearly crying when he heard about his penalty, and saying it was the most unfair penalty he'd ever known in his life, I think maybe lacked a little bit of context. Um, <laughs> so I'd maybe put Carlos in there for that reason. So I'd, I'll pair them together in that sense. Um yeah. and it's harsh, I know. That's but a no, lot. Ferrari drivers together.
1: Yeah, misery loves keep... company. So exactly, exactly. I actually am right there with you. I was going to put Carlos signs into the doghouse, mainly because obviously your teammate. Is out of the race early, early on. All the pressure now is on your shoulders. To the point that you mentioned earlier, he drove a great race and then he unnecessarily spins Fernando Alonso, knocks him off. By the way, I wouldn't shitting myself uh, thinking about what's to come after the fact in the paddock for spinning <laughs> out to your own countrymen. But then you have to tack on the penalty and then you finish outside the point. So at that point, I just feel like, yes, obviously you have to be aggressive, but at the same time, you need to maintain some kind of consistency and stability and play it safe just to make sure you end up in the points for your team. And obviously that did not happen. So Carlos Sainz would be my doghouse selection, fair?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And um, Like you say, the, the penalty got, I think, you know, the severity of what it ended up being was overly harsh but if you don't want to risk that happening don't yeah. get hit another drive yeah i mean <laughs> it was clearly a penalty clear as day you know so yeah it was
2: and charles sounded like he was crying almost i i was i'd never heard that i'd never heard a driver like that before over over a five second penalty i mean lewis when he lost the championship in 21 <laughs> wasn't that emotional about it. you know he was he was obviously emotional about it but he wasn't outwardly emotional on his radio so yeah i
0: thought that was, that was very bizarre so yeah good good pick what? It's because he knew that Katie was going to put him in the doghouse and, and <laughs> then so was I. So he yeah. knew what was coming. Yeah, yeah. Let this be a lesson to all of them. That's what I
2: say.
1: Yeah, overly <laughs> emotional radio messages puts you in the doghouse.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So a couple of weeks before our next round of predictions, here on the show, Chris, we obviously predict our top three for races. Nate currently leads, uh, but just to update everybody, Lawrence was accurate in the fact that he chose Max Verstappen to win. Got it wrong with Sergio Perez and Leclerc. Nate, you had Max, Charles, and Fernando Alonso. So two out of the three. Well done. If you remember, I had Charles, Max, Alonso. What was I thinking? But two out of the three. So I tied you. So yeah. a little okay. another tie added to the column. Okay. Yeah. So. I think
2: Alonzo's a really safe bet this year. Just keep putting him third Clearly. all year. And yeah. you'll I mean that's that's
0: guaranteed points, it seems.
1: It is. It is. And that, Chris
0: and that Verstappen guy first, maybe. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, we Sorry, we yeah, don't Angela. even actually
1: go with one. We just kind of okay. move on to two and three as our as we make our picks. Uh, Chris, as always, so good to see you. We appreciate your time, your insight, your analysis, Nate. You have to do it, so it's great to see you. Thanks for <laughs> signing on. Uh, as always, remember if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Guys, I appreciate you both. Cheers. Thank you
0: very much.